episode 17 of the Win and Six podcast, official podcast of BehindTheBookPass.com. I'm your host, Editor-in-Chief Adam McGee, and joining me this week are two of our great writers at the site. As usual, we've got Ty Windish um, making his podcast debut with us. We've got Aaron Edwards. For any of you wondering where Jordan Tresky is this week, he's a little under the weather, so he's, he's taking this, this week off. Uh, but don't worry, I'm, I'm sure his... His thoughtful sounds and his barking dog will be back with us very soon. Um, <laughs> this week, we're going to continue our look through the books roster, and we've been going position by position over, over the last few weeks. And this time out, it's going to be the, the power forwards that we put under the radar. First off, though, let's deal with some of, some of the news from the past seven days. Um, first up, not, not so much from the last seven days, but from earlier today, being Monday when we're recording this, um, after a summer filled with rumours about what shape the front office is going to take going forward, John Hammond has extended his, his contract to remain as GM for one further year, so that takes him up through to 2016-17. How did you guys feel when you heard the news? Were you surprised given everything that's been whispered throughout the summer, or was it just a logical decision for the books to go with? Uh, I mean, I think it just makes sense. Um... Kid is obviously more of a commandeering sort of in-charge personality. Uh, Hammond is not. Uh, I don't really want to say yes, man, because I feel like that's demeaning. Because he's been he's been excellent at his job too. That obviously helps. I mean, if he was inept and and agreeable, he wouldn't keep the job. But just uh, the little things he does that maybe you know, are there some things that seem shaped by Kid more, like going for the the players who have been with him in the past and MCW maybe. But, you know, drafting Giannis was clearly Hammond, and that was a stroke of brilliance. Uh, drafting Jabari seemed a little obvious, but there was some debate after Wiggins if it should be Embiid. Um, I think clearly at this point I'd rather have Jabari than Embiid just because we don't know if Joel's ever going to play in the NBA. And just trades, too. I mean, the, the Grievous Vasquez trade looks pretty good right now. and Just little things like that that he's just very, very good at, I think, make him an easy choice to stick around. Yeah, I would say you know they've learned from the Herb Cole era. They're they're trying not to just put their people in. And I mean, you know, one big thing with signing Hammond too was they fired the assistant GM. So yeah, I know uh, speculation is that they're going to bring somebody in, you know, more analytics focused, um, kind of more new school. So it makes sense to put them. They both both their contracts end in the next season. So that way, if they want to lock him up long-term, they can, or if they want to go in a new direction at that point, it gives them some flexibility. Yeah, that was that was definitely an, an interesting and slightly unexpected aspect to it. I mean, assistant GM might be the least glamorous job 
<laughs> in in NBA organizations because I've no doubt that there's great assistant GMs around the league who do a lot of the work that the main guy in the front office being the general manager often gets the credit for and that's the sort of thing you, I guess you never really get a true sense for until, until that person's gone and with David Morway who who wasn't retained by the books today I mean he's got a really really strong history in the NBA former former Pacers GM and even more interesting something I didn't know until today um, which I'm not going to lie I came across on his Wikipedia page but that's the he was actually <laughs> The assistant GM for the San Diego Padres in the MLB before, and um, so that's pretty, pretty interesting, pretty unusual. I guess getting back to Hammond and the way that things might shape up going forward from here, it is going to be interesting to see who they partner him with. I'm not completely convinced that that isn't a move to to maybe free up a little bit more input again for Kid. I think. It's a relief to me personally to see that they haven't just handed the reins over to Kid completely. I think that would have been a mistake. And maybe part of that is, I don't know, Billy uh, Billy King isn't our Billy King? Nets GM? Billy, yeah, that sounds right. I think, I think that's right. Billy King isn't the easiest guy to work with um, going by anything that I've read or heard over the years. So, I mean, maybe the difference between when Kid was making that power play in Brooklyn that eventually saw him end up in Milwaukee maybe it's now that he's working with someone who is a little bit different in character he realizes well I don't need to have full say over personnel just yet I'm happy to coach to build the team up on that front and have someone else take that share of the responsibility uh, Ty you mentioned a few of the deals that Hammond has made that have been I guess pretty pretty memorable I think for me what Hammond is he hasn't any of the big decisions he's got right. He hasn't done anything that he, sh- he shouldn't have done. He hasn't taken too many risks. And he's done a really good job of winning sort of, I guess, the mid-range deals. So whether that's draft picks, I mean, if you look at where Yanis came in, even John Henson, the biggest win of, of Hammond's reign for me, though, has to be the trade that saw Brandon Jennings land up, land up in Detroit. And we brought Brandon Knight in, who as we all know, was was almost an all-star as a book, but Chris Middleton has to be the biggest victory to come out of that deal. Now he's got Michael Carter-Williams as well. If this is the books group that's going to that's going to own the future that we're going to see for, for the next few years at least, well, he got two starters out of Brandon Jennings. That sounds like a pretty good haul to me. Do you have full yeah. faith in Hammond to see through his contract now? Um is there a part of you maybe a little bit more skeptical that's saying, okay, well, this was this was a move that was going to happen so that the ownership didn't didn't feel like they were being portrayed as the guys who were just going to push him out in favor of kid. It's a little. Well, weird. I think they've said all along. Oh, sorry, Jordan. I think they've said all along. Uh, you know that they were standing behind Hammond. They didn't didn't want kid to be, you know, a Stan Van Gundy or a. Um, Greg Popovich, and they're standing behind that. So give them credit for, you know, doing what they say they're going to be doing, and you know we'll see what happens in the next season. Yeah, I would. The one thing is, it's a little weird. It was a one-year extension. Um, I don't know if Hammond is going to hang up the. I don't know what the word is. Hang up the clipboard or the laptop after that for good, or <laughs> if there's he just wanted to look into doing something else after that. So it's a little bit of a short extension, I guess, but um, I think it definitely shows at least a little more confidence in him. Um, it'd be weird if they fired him, 
between now and the next little while because most of the big personnel moves are already done. Like, the nucleus is in place at this point. Um, I mean, I guess if it didn't work out, they could kind of throw the blame on him, but aside from re-signings, it seems like the core of this team is pretty much in place. So it feels like as long as he wants to be there, he should kind of get to go, uh, remain in his job as long as the Bucks are doing moderately well. Yeah, I mean, I see the logic behind that one-year extension because it matches his contract up with kids now. Yeah, um, So I guess it's pretty simple. Come come the end of 2016-17, if the team haven't lived up to expectations, it'll be a clean sweep. And you'll have not only not only a, a new front office, but potentially a new coach as well. Um, so that makes things pretty interesting going forward, even when you think of 2016-17 is when Greg Monroe is going to come off the books as well, isn't it? So if he wants to, yeah, yeah. If he, if he to. wants to, I'm either way, whether he comes back to Milwaukee at the end of it, I'm sure he's going to opt out and look for more money then. That's um, right. So it's a big two years. Um, I guess the way that they have lined up those contracts maybe makes that realization a little bit starker, just because. It is definitely a case of, well, if it doesn't work in the next two years, we're, we're looking at something different from then. And there is, this team hasn't had a very a very definite time scale for anything along the way. It's always been the future, the future, the future. Well, now there's sort of, we're getting to a stage where there's going to be dates um, to, to focus on. And definitely the end of the 2016-17 season is one of those. The thing, the thing for me with Hammond as I mentioned earlier, it's his his eye for talent that really seems seems as good as almost anyone else in the NBA. In recent years, I can't think of many teams who have drafted consistently better than the Bucks. And I mean, when you think back, obviously the team's history in the draft has been far from ideal. Uh, Hammond was one who really sort of changed the tide on that a little bit. Does the yeah, I think when they drafted too. It's always, at least for the last few years, it's been in that mid-first round, which is always the hardest place to, you know, get consistently good talent. Yeah, it's really, I suppose, when you look at the draft, if you're up at the top, you normally have sort of a, a short list of guys you're looking at, and if you're down at the bottom, it's the same, because a lot of the guys you might have wanted are gone. So it's, it is in the middle of the draft where it's a bit more sort of a pool of uncertainty, and it, it's harder to find the real talent, and he's just he seems to have a knack for doing that. With that in mind, obviously analytics is it's one of the big buzzwords in the NBA, and it, it definitely has its place. There's, I wouldn't devalue it in any way, but do you feel if the books were to decide to go that way with an assistant GM, is that something they really need to do? Do you see in the way that the team performs in the court or the decisions they're making, do you see a big gap that needs to be filled in terms of analytics? I don't know if it's necessary, but I don't think it could hurt. Um, there's one guy who just got dismissed from the Kings, yeah, Tim I Oliver. Th- I was thinking that you you know a little bit more about the hiring and firing of analytics guys at late. Yeah, well, uh, you could say that. Um, they just they replaced him with Roland Beach, who wasn't. There's, there's, these guys seem to just be floating around at this point. There may be a premium on good coaching and good GMs. There's a lot of analytics guys out there. Um, Dean Oliver literally has written books on analytics. He knows his stuff. He's available. They could go after him. Um, I'm sure there's other guys as well. They could. I think 
who was it? Was it the Cavs who just stole someone from the Spurs front office? I want to say. And I don't know if it was an analytics guy, but it was some sort of a player development. So they could always do something like that. I'd have to Google it to find the exact. I want to say it was the Spurs director of player personnel, and he just got hired to be an assistant somewhere, something like that. So you could always look for them to do something like that too. Um, back as to if analytics is necessary, uh, it, I, I, like I said, it just couldn't hurt, I don't think. It, it couldn't hurt to have more viewpoints in that front office. It was the, the director of player administration um, for the Spurs, uh, Trajan Langdon, who replaced Raja Bell. Who knew Raja Bell had a front office job? Um, he left to be with his family, I remember that. Yeah, that's. I'm literally reading the tweet right now. Um, that's, yeah. That's how it finishes. So we've covered in, we've covered all those 140 characters pretty well. Um, <laughs> what do you think, Aaron? Do Do you feel that there is a need for for it, or maybe it's just it shows proactive thinking from from the ownership, from the leadership within the organization to to get a different perspective involved? Well, I mean, I think we've seen the power in you know the analytics movement. You know, it's it's putting together you know limited small ball lineups. You know, outside shooting—it's all—it's all analytics based, and so it's just like you know, planning for a new arena, for a new um, practice facility. They're showing an investment in you know the future and trying new things. You know, maybe not a D League team yet, but you know, they're at least showing that they're open to new techniques and you know, hopefully, things it takes to own the future. Well, yeah, the the best example is probably the Rockets, right? I mean, they lost a lot of personnel last year. Um, Dwight Howard, Demo, still ended up second seed in probably one of the best Western Conference years in recent history, if not ever, just because they did not deviate from their analytics game plan. They shot a lot of threes and got to the line a lot. And pretty much just on James Harden's back with a lot of, I think it's pretty fair to say, role players around him for a lot of the year. Patrick Beverly missed a ton of time. Uh, like I said, Howard, who's obviously a game-altering center. And they still won, I don't think, 60, but 50-some games second seed in the West and made a pretty significant playoff run with all those injuries just based off going after what they feel is the smartest and most efficient ways of scoring. Yeah, if there is one knock that, I, that maybe I would put on Hammond, it is that for as good a job as he tends to do at picking up starters, he doesn't fill out the roster in quite the same way. And we've not this offseason. Yeah, definitely did not this offseason. We've <laughs> talked, talked a lot about the team's depth. Um, it's a big question mark on just how, how it will look once opening night comes round. But I don't know, there's things that a lot of smart organizations around the league do that you don't see the books do very much. For example, looking to Europe for sort of, I guess, second round prospects. And that's something that the, that's something that the Rockets did really well. Um, when you look at a lot of those guys who have stepped in and filled big roles for them, They've sort of expanded their expanded their range a little bit on what they looked for from a scouting point of view, and it's definitely paid dividends. So it'd be interesting to see what the next step is in terms of, of how the front office shapes up. Moving on to the other piece of news from this week. Um, the Bucks have signed yet another player um, for a training camp deal. This time it was John Horford. Most famously known, I'm going to go with, for being the brother of Al Horford. Um, unless I'm missing some other big John Horford claim to fame. Second, second most known for being the son of Tito Horford. <laughs> that's that's very true. The NBA. Third most known for being 
brother-in-law of Amelia Vega, former Miss Universe. Uh, there you go. That's foremost known for being a basketball player. Um, but <laughs> I guess before we get into John Horford, the the thing that I took from this, the fact that they're still looking to add these guys, there was there was a time where I guess. Okay, they added Marcus Landry, then it was Charlie Westbrook. At that point, we were going, okay, they've given two local guys a shot to prove themselves, see where it goes from there. Then when Josh Powell came in, that was a real surprise, considering he'd come straight off the Rockets bench, um, not in a playing capacity either, but as, as a coach. And now to add another player into the mix with John Horford, I mean, they've already got Gutierrez non-guaranteed. It doesn't feel like they're just bringing guys in for the sake of bringing them in anymore. If you're bringing this many guys, it feels like there's legitimately going to be a spot to play for. Is that something that, that you guys feel could could be the case, or just that there's enough uncertainty over maybe more than one guy that they're prepared to give a few players a look? I, I guess you could say that. Um, I don't know if any of these guys should find themselves as anything more than a 15th man, if that, at this point. Um uh, but they're all certainly going to fight and try to prove me wrong, which is good. And hope, I hope they do. I just, I don't know. It, a couple of them just feel a little gimmicky, I guess. You got an NBA free agent next season's brother. You got two Milwaukee natives, and you have a, a former coach as of last season. It's a bit of a strange group, to say the least. These aren't exactly the the best undrafted players from the last two drafts brought in. Absolutely. But, I mean, you think two Wisconsin natives in the draft that both passed on both of them for Rashad Vaughn. Um, I mean, it's nice that they're trying to give some local guys a shot. And it's nice that the 15th spot is, I mean, anyway, it turns out it's going to be non-guaranteed. So it's somebody they can drop mid-season and explore some 10 days if they want to. Um, it gives them some flexibility, which, um, you know, is certainly appreciated after after last year. Yeah, I guess the thing for me is just if there is this much uncertainty over that 15th spot, I feel there's guys who they could go and find who, who could really make something of it. It definitely does. No matter who they pick, there is, that's probably fair to say, Aaron, that whoever it is, chances are they're going to have an uphill battle to be on the roster the whole way through the season. Um, with fate being as cruel as it is, Probably Gutierrez will make the roster only to get cut mid-season, maybe come back later in the year. I don't know. That's, that seems to be the sort of merry-go-round that the books are on at the moment. Um, it's going to be interesting when, when training camp comes around to see how exactly that plays out. Talk on Horford himself. Um, he's got sort of, you look at his college career, he's got big skills on his resume. Um, you're looking at Michigan and Florida. Um, he transferred just for his final year over to be a Florida Gator. Something about that sort of feels strange in the same way. I mean, that's following in his brother's footsteps for one year. Even though he was part of two big programs, though, and obviously that will have rubbed off on him, he didn't get any sort of real meaningful minutes. I mean, between, between five years total in college, 1,706 minutes of play. So that's an average of 12.4 minutes a game. Not a whole lot. Not the sort of guy that you'd expect to come in and make any real waves on an NBA roster anyway. Um, 
per game numbers, you're looking 3.7 points, 3.4 rebounds, 0.6 blocks. Shot 52.2% from the field. Um, I don't know. There's not really a whole lot here to get excited about. Um, what do you guys think of the decision to bring John Horford in? What makes John Horford worthy of a shot if they're if they're bringing this many players to training camp? Why was it John Horford and not someone else? Is it a real yeah. thing that his brother is is one of the big free agents next summer? Surely it isn't with Greg Monroe now signed up. Uh, I was going to say Al Horford. I mean, I, I don't, maybe they're hoping that there's he's going to morph into Al Horford soon. That he's going to. He doesn't really look like him, so it'd be a, a visual transformation as well. Um, I don't know. I mean, the numbers don't stand out. And then I carefully read the Wikipedia page, and he was playing overseas, but left mid-season after clashing with the coaches. And I mean, I don't, I, obviously, I don't know the situation. I'm not going to pretend to, but that doesn't exactly seem like a bright spot on his resume either. So now you have. Clashing with overseas coaches who are giving him a shot after a not very illustrious college career, and then the not very good stats, and you're going, well, I don't know, maybe maybe it's I haven't watched enough film on John Horford yet. I don't know if I'll ever get time to watch enough film on John Horford. I'm just not seeing too much tremendous upside at the moment. If memory serves me correctly, I don't think that's quite how it happened. Because uh, as far as I know, he he was on the Hawks summer league team. Um, that was after, yeah. Yeah, so, so I do know a little about him. It's not, it's not my first time looking into John Horford. Uh, but I'm pretty sure part of the reason he came back was to have a shot at the NBA. He only went overseas once he, nothing had happened with him, basically around the time of the draft. So he wasn't really overseas for any length of time at all, and he decided, okay, well, let's come back and see if I can get any player around an NBA roster. Um, he got there with the Hawks and I think he played maybe one game and six or seven minutes total in Summer League uh, which doesn't bode particularly well at all yeah the, the, the Wikipedia page takes some liberties with the, the wording here a Wikipedia says, page that takes liberties really management. It, he, uh, he quote unquote clashed heads with team management in uh, the, uh, a team over there <laughs> Indios de San Francisco and nothing clicked for him with the team in Las Vegas when he tried out with the Hawks. This is some, some flowery wording on whoever wrote this Wikipedia article. <laughs> yeah, well, I think the Hawks thing, you can forgive him a little bit because if we're talking about being a novelty for the books, the Hawks were definitely just doing Al Horford a favor because they also brought one of Paul Millsap's seemingly many brothers. I think the Millsap family must be endless. Um, but they brought one Elijah? No, it wasn't Elijah. I think it was Abraham was his name. Um, they brought him to Summer League as well. So, I mean, that's sort of just doing a solid for two of their star players. It's a, it's a rule you have to bring your, your good player's brother in at least once if he has one. I know J.R. Smith's brother got a little bit of time with one of his teams once. But that, that was Curry played a few. He actually got some real NBA time, though, I yeah, think, because they were in the Seth Curry got summer league time with the Warriors a year or two ago. You have to at least once. It's like the rules. So John got his six minutes, and that's it. Do you expect him to get any play even in, in preseason in Milwaukee, Aaron? No, but, I mean, there comes the battle then. Does, does preseason even matter? And it's I, I think 
you know, if we're giving them, you know, these five guys the shot for the last last roster space, you know, take the last 15 minutes of, you know, of garbage time in these games in Iowa and Green Bay and let them, let them battle for it. Yeah, that's the crazy thing, and teams don't do that. They bring guys to training camp and then give them virtually no play at all, um, which... It's all well and good seeing what they can do in practice, but you think you'd like to see what they can do in game situations too. Um, so you'd imagine that that's the sole purpose of preseason, but no, they like to they like to trot out with the lineups that they've generally seen quite a bit, or they know they're going to see a lot of during the season. Um, so how much we'll see of John Horford remains to be seen. You, you could on. get seen just because no way Jabari makes a preseason appearance. Zero percent no, chance no. he's ready. So maybe he can sneak in a few minutes, but not much more. The Jabari thing is, I don't know, it's so up in the air for me. Um, Segway. <laughs> now, I'm not going to Jabari just yet. We'll, we'll oh, stay here. We'll stay here. We'll talk about... Okay, we'll just uh, move on just to stop you. Um, we'll th- let's talk Jabari Parker. Uh, <laughs> let's move oh, on to Bookstar forwards and talk Jabari Parker. Uh, the thing with Jabari and his return from injury, we've had reports this week. Um, I'll I'll loosely term them as reports, um, like like with anything, um, in, involving Jabari at the moment. But reports that he maybe isn't as far off a, a return to full health as was maybe rumored earlier earlier in the summer. Um. I'm inclined to believe from sort of from Jabari's own demeanor anytime he's had any sort of public appearances to okay and I know this is a big overreaction to something which it's very easy to stage in a certain way but also his workout videos um, anytime, yeah he's been dunking a lot anytime you see Jabari with a basketball in his hands he's not exactly looking too wary of any injury um I think he is he is probably closer than than was rumored to be early in the year. Now saying that I still think better safe than sorry. Um there's no reason to rush him back uh, as you guys said, particularly with preseason. Uh would I be against maybe him seeing very limited minutes towards the end of it? Not necessarily if they feel he is fully fit again, because it's better to give him those sort of Better to give him those sort of taster minutes and get him allow him to feel his way back into full shape in the preseason than the regular season. But that depends on how confident the books are, the place where he's at. From everything you've seen, heard, read, what do you guys feel? What's your, your gut feeling on when we'll see Jabari back in the court? Bold prediction. You ready? Are you ready for this? It's gonna be open at night, is it? Yeah, he's starting. He's starting opening night. I don't know if we see him preseason. I'm watching the Bucks Snapchat that they put up. Their official Snapchat. He's dunking on little kids. He's getting alley oops from eight year olds. If he's if he's healthy enough to be playing like full contact alley oop basketball with these eight year olds at the camp, I think he's ready for NBA basketball. I mean, I think he's ready to earn millions of dollars on the highest stage of the world if he can play pickup games with these kids. He he looks fine. He looks great, and he's still got. What two months, two plus months before you would have to actually suit up? Yeah, he's he's gonna go. It's it's all you know cloak and dagger stuff, but we're seeing him opening night starting. 
But just think of the Snapchat story. Opening night, probably going to be a sellout crowd anyway, and then a month later, Jabari's first night back. You know, why, why rush him back when you can you know, have two potential sellout crowds, you know, a month I don't know, but there's a whole conspiracy angle to this. Why did they finally agree to have a home opener? Jabari's <laughs> return, I mean, you've, they've got to build it up. <laughs> Especially if it's going to be a home opener without Jabari or Giannis. That'll be tough. Yeah, that's that's very true. Um, on, the, on the plus side, it's against the Knicks. Unfortunately, are a little bit better than they were last year. Um, whenever he comes back, what are realistic expectations for Jabari this season? Do they treat him like a second overall pick? Or do you forget that, forget all his potential and what he's supposed to be and treat him as a player coming back from such a serious knee injury as he's just suffered. I think expectations are right where they were. I mean, his his body looks great. You know, his conditioning looks like it's uh, improving. So I think if anything, you know, expectations for defense and for mobility are going to be, you know, maybe a little bit higher than they were last year. And then expecting him to just build on, you know, the two or three months of numbers that he had last year as well. I think Kid and company are going to temper expectations on us and, you know, sort of calm everybody down. And then we're going to get to watch Jabari play again and realize that it's pretty hard to temper expectations on this guy who had a legitimate shot at being the number one overall pick that year if he didn't pretty much tell Cleveland he didn't want to go there, which was awesome. Um, yeah, I mean, I don't, I don't know if you can... Once you start watching him play, it's going to be hard to temper expectations. I don't see him coming back too timid or too hurt. I mean, it looks like he's been moving fluidly on the basketball court for at least a month now, at least that long. Um, I, I'm not saying we should all expect him to be, you know, KG or whatever right away. You shouldn't expect that last year. But it's going to be hard to look at him and say, well, if he goes 5-5, five and five, we're fine. I'm fine with that. Like, I want to see him score 20 sometimes. I'm, I'm more on the side of tempering expectations, though. Um, I'm, I'm saying we should, but he's going to play really well, and then we're not going to anymore. It's going to be like the whole season was last year. Like, yeah, if we get 25 wins, that's not too bad. Then, oh, how come we're not getting 50 wins? It's going to be like that. I think, though, they have a little bit more control over that this year. If, if they want to ease Jabari in slow, they can do that because the team has multiple options this year. Um, where last year, particularly towards the start of the season, when they didn't know that it was going to turn out quite as well as it, as it did, they were looking to get Jabari as many touches as possible because, well, he was the franchise. There wasn't a whole lot else around. And it's easy to forget now just how much they looked into that good season. Um, that wasn't the plan. The plan was probably another year or two further down the line. Um, I don't know. I'd be prone to just temper expectations a little bit. Now, I say that... Maybe it's about two months ago now that, that I wrote a piece looking at Jabari's 10 best highlights of last season. And considering mm -hmm. he played 25 games, he had really good highlights. And the thing that strikes me with Jabari, and I guess makes him a little bit different to, to most modern forwards in the NBA, because we won't classify him as a three or a four. That's probably yet to play out. But Jabari has this sort of graceful way to him. He's not all power like a, like a lot of forwards are now in the NBA. 
Um, he's not Kenneth Fareed. It's not even that he's not Kenneth Fareed, but I mean, the way LeBron generally plays, the way most of those guys play, no matter what style, if they're not doing it in the post, they're still sort of bullying their way to space, and it's it's about the physicality. It's a physical aspect of Jabari's game as well, but it's different. It's his movement, and it's good that he's not maybe such a power player that he's going to throw himself into guys in the same way. Um, but coming back from an injury like that, it's movement that is going to to be maybe a little bit slower coming back than maybe a little bit debilitated. I would sort of... If I was the coach or if I was the, the training staff, I would sort of slowly ease him back in. Um, if he's ready for opening night, the problem with that is, as Sarah mentioned, with no Yanis, it's probably harder to ease him back in uh, because he, he's got to go because otherwise you've got a sold-out sold out Bradley Center maybe for opening night and you've got, we say, Chris Copeland starting at the four. Yeah, I was going to say, if, if he comes back that first game, what's the starting lineup? Do you play Jabari at the three and Copeland at the four? Try to save his body a little bit? Or See, you probably, you probably have four. to play him at the four, but yeah, there is that question then over what sort of punishment do you put him in for straight off the bat? I mean, we talked about this before. It's not a good idea to bring him back from his first game on injury and throw him on Carmelo right away. I would venture to guess that Middleton ends up at the three if Jabari plays, so we can put our really good defensive player on one of the best scorers in the NBA and not have... Welcome back, Jabari. Here's Melo. I don't know. On the other hand, he'll get some points on Melo. Yeah, he'll get some points on, on Porzingad, too. Yeah, that's very true. Um, I break him in half. Yeah, I guess part of that depends on where... I can see Mello at the four on, on opening night, too. Um, I mean, I don't know if they'll start Persinga straight off the bat, and if they don't, well, then it's Derek Williams at the four. So I wouldn't be surprised for them to play a little bit bigger. Maybe we'll get Tanasa Santa de Kumpo at the three for for <laughs> uh, for the Knicks, and we'll at least have one of the brothers in the game. Um Getting back to Jabari, one of the things that I'm sort of curious to see, coming back from an injury like this where he hasn't been doing full contact work, but he's probably been in a place where he can get himself in in relative basketball shape or work on his game. Do you guys expect his shooting to come back even a little bit better um, just by the fact that he's probably been forced into working on that more than anything else due to being limited with his, with his movement? Yeah, I was going to say, that's probably all he's been doing. I don't know if he's Kobe insane, but trying to remember exactly what the injury... It was something with one of Kobe's hands, and he just went to the gym and started shooting with the other hand. Like, guys will it'll work around injuries if they can to work out. So with Jabari, it was obviously his upper body was fine. So I, I wouldn't be surprised if he put in quite a bit of shots this offseason when he couldn't really do much else. Yeah, I certainly hope so. Yeah, so, I mean... Sorry, go on, Aaron. Uh, it's a great opportunity for him to, you know, definitely work on his shot. And if, you know, him and MCW and Giannis have all been doing it, hopefully, you know, we'll see a big improvement from last year. Yeah, and one of the things that was a pleasant surprise, I think, with Jabari last year, 
um, because it was it was definitely something that was put on a knock against him um, coming out of college, and that was the fact that his mid-range game was a little bit better than advertised. Um, he definitely had no fear in taking sort of mid-range to long twos. Uh, if if that range could extend out a little bit, I think we'll get to this a little bit later. One of the mailbag questions, but the books desperately need just a little bit more shooting out of that starting five. And if Jabari could be the guy to do it, that would be great. His defenses maybe. It's maybe the part of his game that's talked about the most. Or anytime you hear Jabari this summer, if it's not the injury, it's, well, how does he fit in defensively, particularly with Greg Monroe now arriving um, with the team as well. Are you guys really worried about his defense, particularly alongside Monroe? Now a lot of people say Monroe isn't going to be an issue because the rest of the team is good enough to cover over. It'll be hard if, if you've got three guys trying to cover over another two, though. Is Jabari going to be able to sort of keep the pace of the rest of the team defensively? I think so. I mean, I think Sweeney will figure it out. Uh, even if he can't, they could probably just do what the Warriors do. If, let's say, one team has a killer four and an okay three, just have Giannis play on the four defensively and then let Jabari, if he wants to play four or three offensively, it doesn't really matter. But, I mean, they could always hide him that way. Uh, I'm not as worried about Monroe's defense. Uh, we've talked about this a few times. As an actual standalone center, he really isn't that bad of a defender. He's a decent rim protector. Um, he was a liability when he had to kind of he had to play on fours and stretch fours are just way too fast for Greg Monroe. I mean, he's a punishing inside center. You can't expect him to run out to the arc all the time and try to cover up Ryan Anderson and guys like that. So I'm not too worried about it. I think just with the honest there next to him, he can protect him and. I've never been all that worried about Monroe as a, a defensive center on this team. Yeah, I guess for me, there's enough there for Jabari. And once again, maybe this is something else. I guess he's going to have a lot of time where he was off his feet. Maybe he's watched a lot of film and he would have picked up on a lot of what his teammates were doing last year and what made them so effective. Um, we don't know that he hasn't been in sort of a constant dialogue with guys like Sean Sweeney and trying to work on that part of his game, and that's the intelligence side. Right? I don't think there's questions over Jabari being a smart basketball player, and that's probably the most important tool for him to have if he's to become a good defender. If he's smart enough that he can learn the scheme and he can learn just exactly how he should operate within it, well, then it, it shouldn't necessarily be too big a concern. Um, I mean, the funny, the funny thing for me is... He may not pass the eye test. His defensive numbers were pretty good. He had a D rating of 103 and a positive defensive box plus minus in his 25 or what, 25 games. According to the advanced stats, his defense was better than his offense. So I know he didn't look like the best defender, but it wasn't like he was an absolute black hole out there. The, the overall team defense helps, of course. But still, I mean, if you're a bad defender, those numbers will reflect it. Yeah, I do think the, the overall team influences that quite a bit, particularly in his defense being better than his offense. I think that was more just that at times when he was on the floor, his teammates were probably so bad offensively um, that, that his numbers take a hit on that. But yeah, so I take the point on board. Um, this is a debate I guess we've had a few times. Um, Long-term future, it's hard to call before we really see him come back from injury. 
is Jabari the number one option on the team? Is he going to be the guy? Is it going to be Anis? Is it going to be Greg Monroe? Are are the Bucks going to be one of these teams like say, like the Pistons were in the past, like the Warriors were to some extent last year that don't have one guy as much as multiple different ways they can hurt you? I've been waiting for Giannis to step up. We talked about well, I don't I don't even know what show we do so many podcasts. <laughs> On a podcast, I said I wanted Giannis to be Mister Twenty Points again. He hasn't really been doing that for Greece. He's played well. I'm not trying to knock Giannis, but he, he hasn't jumped out as the scorer. Uh, I don't know if we're going to see that this year, or even really ever, where Giannis is the dynamic scorer as much as he is a, a defensive lockdown presence and a just an overall helpful guy to have around. I think we're going to see uh, Monroe, Jabari, 1A, one, one those two guys sort of team up for a lot of points. Uh, probably have some nice little big guy pick and rolls sort of uh, action down there. A lot of fun stuff. I can't wait to watch them play together. And then sort of Middleton and as like the B option, like, okay, if neither of these guys is open or not playing well, get it to Middleton, he might have some space. If those guys are doubled and he's automatic, if he's open, we all know that. We've all seen him shoot. And then sort of Giannis and, and MCW just cleaning it up. When they have opportunities or when they're hot, let them get their points. But otherwise, don't really force it to them just because there's already a lot of good offensive presence on this team. And I'm all about developing Giannis and MCW more, but not if it costs some great offensive possessions from the other three guys. Yeah, that's something they definitely have to figure out is, you know, who's who's going to be that number one option. I think, to a big degree, it's who steps up this year. You know, like you said, Giannis hasn't really been doing it in Greece. He's been, you know, playing really well, but you know, certainly 10 been 10 every game pretty much. Yeah, I mean, he's been a great complimentary player for them, but not certainly not a number one option. And so if, if he can you know, take that and grow from that this year and become that great, I think that's you know, what we all want for him. But um, I, I think to a large degree it's, you know, he and Jabari especially are both so young still. You know, let's see who's going to really you know, take over as that go-to scorer. The big question for me, and I guess what all of that boils down to, it comes back to that interview Jared Dudley did towards the end of last season where he talked about that famously the first time he came in and none of the guys were talking and he couldn't believe just how quiet it was. I know we've talked about this on podcasts in the past before and who's the guy who stepped up from a leadership point of view. But even Mm -hmm. aside from leadership, you sort of need a guy who who will go out there and he'll talk and he'll just take control of situations. And the character of the books team as a whole is ideal for a group of young guys. You're not going to have any trouble. They're going to work hard. They're going to develop together. But when it comes to a point that one of them, one of them needs to sort of take over or take the reins and make that difference. I don't know. I just hope that they have one of the guys who, is a little less passive than the others even. I think that's the way I put it. It's not that it's not that Yanis isn't capable, it's not that Middleton or Jabari or even Greg Monroe, even if we want to throw MCW in there, I mean all five of the guys who you project to be starters, they're sort of quiet by nature. The books just have to hope that one of those guys isn't gonna be afraid to take the ball by the horns 
and go and, and really show what they can do and sort of inspire their teammates around them because that's sometimes what it takes when you look at historically big trees around the NBA maybe even in Milwaukee if you want to go back to, to the last great books team there's generally someone who's a little bit more brash or who has a little bit more of a voice that can lead the rest of the guys out from around them I don't know if they need such a dominant sort of personality um, at the same time though someone has to show that they'll take on that extra bit of a challenge I often think about this and I wrestle sort of back and forth on my head I don't think it's Yanis. I think he may be able to do it in short spells at the end of the day Yanis might just be too nice to be able to step up into that role um, I don't know if it's Middleton I'd be, I'd be inclined to lead towards Jabari I think Jabari is the guy who just in the way he carries himself, maybe in part in his journey as well, because he's the one who, I guess from an earlier age, he was projected to be the guy on a team. So he's had that that route coming up through high school, through college. He's the one who I feel can maybe take on that mantle, and it's something that's going to be really important for the team. Do you guys agree with that, or is there one of the other guys that you feel even if it's not necessarily from a leadership standpoint, from a basketball from a basketball point of view, he will push himself out there on the court and take control of this team as their own. I, I think, think right now, to be perfectly honest, he's coming in, you know, saying that all he wants is playoff wins. It'd be nice to see him get get real hungry and kind of push everybody to the next level. I think there's I mean, definitely a shot. Shot for it to be Greg. No, go ahead. I was just gonna say I think that'd be a you know nice unexpected uh, plus there. I think there's an opportunity for him to do it too. If he if he comes right in with that attitude, Jabari has been more of a Tim Duncan kind of leader. Not to make a Tim Duncan comparison, but he's been that that <laughs> calming presence. You know, he I, I saw him before he got injured and after. He would be the first guy to, you know, like pull someone away from the ref for the other team. Like, okay, let's not get a tech here. You know, let's think. Let's go through this. He's supportive of his teammates. I don't really see him getting in guys' faces. If the first personality that came to my mind when you're talking about that was MCW, to be honest, and maybe a little Giannis with the stink face. Um, OJ does it well, but obviously we're not. OJ is not really in this conversation. I think the Bucks do definitely need someone who's going to start talking that trash, though. Monroe would be nice because he's super big. There's not many guys that can really get in Monroe's face. They're all shorter than him or just too slim. And he definitely could be the one. I mean, centers throughout NBA history have sort of been the kind of emotional, fiery, needy guys, whether it's Shaq, Dwight, Wilt, pretty much all of them except Bill Russell and Mark Gasol. So that, that, that's, that's a pretty good call. I mean, maybe Jabari grows into it, and he's still obviously young. But right now, he just doesn't seem like that kind of fiery guy to me. Yeah, the, a couple of things on that. The Monroe one's interesting because I don't think he's that guy. But at the same time, he has played with the likes of Drummond, who's a pretty forceful personality. And then guys like Brandon Jennings and Josh Smith, who definitely are. Maybe now that he's away from those guys, a bit more of his own personality will come to the fore. Or maybe just what he has seen around them, hopefully... If he's going to take one thing from, from his time with the Pistons, that would be it. Um, would be sort of being an alpha dog rather than 
they're bringing what they did in the courts to Milwaukee. Um, but maybe he will have that in him. And the, just to touch on the Tim Duncan reference you made there, I guess the thing with Tim Duncan, though, he had enough of the nastiness to him, and it just goes under the surface, and everyone doesn't see it. Um, but there's more to Tim Duncan than meets the eye. I mean, all the stories of when guys when guys first come to the Spurs, and I think it was Tony Parker's talked about it quite a few times, Duncan didn't talk to him for like two seasons. He'd just completely blank him. I mean, that's... I don't know what exactly that achieves, but it at least establishes a clear pecking order, and the guys know whose team it is, and that's that's a little bit of what the books need. Um, then there was a I can't remember who I think it was a Jared Swirling wrote for for Bleacher Report the great piece on on Tim Duncan last week, um, on sort of the I don't know what you call it, would you call it a, the garage or the chop shop that Tim Duncan's involved in. It's this whole other side to Tim Duncan's life, and it gives this impression of him as like this practical joker that just seems so foreign to everyone who's watched him play basketball over the years. Um, but yeah. it just shows there can be a little bit more to, to these guys, and I guess that translates over into the locker room. And even if it's not shown on the court, if it's established in the locker room, his teammates know about it, or they've already settled into that pecking order because... As much as we're used to seeing these guys in the court, where they spend most of the time together is off it. So that's where a lot of that sort of plays out. Um, we haven't really been doing this for, for most of the players that we've run through, but just, I guess, with Jabari's situation being a little bit unique, what are your projections in terms of numbers for Jabari this year? Let me think here. I just want to pull up. Last season per game he ended on uh, 12 and five and a half for averages. Um, I expect him to improve on that a little. I'll say uh, 15 and seven per game. Yeah, and I was gonna say 13 and six. Is... Yeah, and I'm gonna go 14 and six, sort of in the middle of it. Um... 15 and 7, if he comes back off that injury and goes 15 and 7, that's a big, big leap, particularly with the contributions you'd expect from the guys around them. I mean... Well, I, there's there's good players around him, but there's, aside from Monroe, there's not that many bulk scorers. The team might need bulk scorers, though, because we'll say maybe 80% of the time, you're going to expect that certain five to get double digits each. Yeah. And then you're going to have guys like Grievous Vasquez and O.J. Mayo come in on the bench who want to get their own as well. You'll have John Henson. I mean, I don't know if they truly need a consistent 20-plus point score like some other teams would. It'd be nice to have someone up around there, but if the whole team sort of averaged out at 12 to 16, 17 points per game, it's got to be pretty hard to stop them as long as the bench gives something. Um, the question remains if the bench will be able to give something but there's at least a couple of guys there who should be able to contribute we'll move on from Jabari we've done a lot of talking about Jabari all summer and let's be honest we'll continue doing that before before the season starts Um, yeah no next week we'll probably talk twice as long about Jabari this is how it goes Um, but the other I guess, true power forward, um, which is ironic, seeing as Jabari probably isn't a true power forward, but 
The other guy who fits that mold in the rotation at the moment is none other than Johnny O'Brien. Uh, My new favorite, number 77. Yeah. <laughs> your, Johnny O'Brien is, I feel he's your new guy. He he's my underdog story. Last year it was Brandon Knight. This year's uh, Johnny O'Brien. You might have to wait a little bit longer for um, uh, no, Johnny O'Brien. Bobblehead no, Knight. The All Star campaign is coming. I I appreciated the the Brew Hoop title Johnny O Bye Bye. I think <laughs> I think that's a little bit more accurate. You did you did you watch the workout video? Oh, oh I've 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 seen the the, the workout video. It's, you don't it's, sound it's something like of beauty, isn't it? It really is. I mean, that's. I was. I would be completely in line with that. The title of that article until I saw that video, and I, I tweeted about it at the time. It just completely mesmerized me. Who Who do you think made more, the the trainer or the video editor? No, but see, this is the thing. I mentioned this. This was probably last week that I mentioned this. The edits in that video, normally when, when you watch a workout video, there's these really obvious clunky edits, and you're like, okay, well, he's missed six shots in a row before before we had that one good make. The music's the giveaway. You hear nearly complete songs true in the Johnny O'Brien video because he's just making every shot around them. Um, so. The thing about Johnny <laughs> O'Brien is that he is the consummate professional. Considering what he went through last year, coming off of that pretty serious knee injury, second-round pick, probably not expecting many minutes at all. First game back, he's starting for a team that's a playoff contender in the Eastern Conference after being bad for how long, coming off of a 15-win season. And he never complained. He never said, well, why am I, why am I starting for this team when I should be getting four minutes I wouldn't minutes be worried if he was complaining about starting. Well, I mean, think about it, though. Was he ready? Clearly not. No, he of definitely course. wasn't ready, but I no. mean... Giannis didn't start to start last season. Giannis did not. He had a rookie year, and he was good, and they were still like, uh, maybe he's not ready. Johnny O'Brien started his first game. To, to be fair, remember when Nate Walters started an entire stretch of an NBA season? I think Nate Walters was more ready than Johnny O'Brien, though. Nate Walters yeah, he was, was, and now he's playing in Turkey. Yeah. <laughs> I'm, I mentioned it before. I... When I first took over at uh, at the site, and I guess that's when I when I really started to focus in on the books, it just happened to be at the time Johnny O'Brien was starting, and my first reaction was, "What have I gotten myself into?" Uh, I don't know. I've I've come round to Johnny O'Brien because the longer the off season has gone on, I do feel sorry for him. I don't feel I don't feel he warranted the treatment he got last year. Thirty um, sixth overall pick. He was completely thrown in at the deep end. Um, there, has, there could be no doubt in that. So a little bit more of a sort of gradual progression up to it. I mean, someone like even, I'm trying to remember now off the top of my head, I haven't got them in front of me, but as far as I know, Middleton didn't play too many games at all in his rookie year. It's towards the end of his rookie season in Detroit that he started to get some play. And then it was the second season where he really kicked on. Now, don't get me wrong, I'm not expecting Johnny O'Brien to make any sort of Chris Middleton progression this year. With some of the guys who are on the roster, though, and we've talked about the, the lack of depth that the team have, maybe, though, he can become sort of a useful contributor towards the back end of the bench. If he became more than that, I mean, that would be the biggest bonus since Chris Middleton. 
Um, but if he could just come in every now and then and offer up something, I don't know. We've talked about power forward a lot. Um, I mean, someone like Chris Copeland, we talked to him last week in the in this small forward podcast, but he could find himself playing quite a bit of stretch four. I don't know, but even when you look at the big men on the roster, right, you've got Monroe, you've got Henson. I don't think anyone's particularly sold on Miles Plumley yet. There's sort of there's enough minutes for big men still up for grabs. It's it's an area where the books are lacking sort of multiple surefire options. There's definitely a niche there that uh, Johnny O'Brien can work himself into. Work being the being the key word there. Once again, that that workout video. It's a man working hard. It was a guy playing for his NBA life and. The only thing you've got to hope is that that wasn't a once-off um, and that he was actually training like that throughout the summer. Um, is there any expectations for Johnny O'Brien? Are we better not having any expectations and then hoping to be really, really pleasantly surprised? So here here was my thought today. Did the Bucks pass up signing Jeff Adrian for someone whose best-case scenario ceiling might be Jeff Adrian. <laughs> I mean, if he ended up being Jeff Adrian this season, I don't think that's bad, though. I mean, do you think that's like the this season, though? Oof. I don't know if I'd say that's the season for his career. Jeff Adrian couldn't shoot a ball to save his life. Neither can Johnny O'Brien outside of the workout video. Uh, yeah, I was going to say outside of the workout video. I'm I'm sure if Jeff Adrian made a workout video, he would make every shot in it. I mean that that Johnny O'Brien workout video is basically like the Matrix. I mean, I saw him just bend his head way backwards at one point. He can do it all. <laughs> I mean, my memory of him playing last year is just so many. Why is he taking that? I think it was. I think it was against the Hawks, because I know he had his best game against the Hawks. I'm pretty sure he also had one of his worst. And he, was he took 120 shots in 368 minutes. Shoot or shoot. <laughs> I never thought that would apply to Johnny O'Brien, but here we are. Um, it does now. <laughs> it, it does. Let me see which game it was. It was against, okay, against Atlanta, where he had nine field goal attempts. But the interesting thing is when you look at his, I'm looking down his game logs here, and generally the games in which he shot more often, he made quite a lot more as well. His percentages were better. He you know went, what they say, shoot or shoot. Yeah, he went 5 of 9 against Atlanta. Uh, okay, 3 of 8 wasn't particularly great against the Knicks. 3 of 6 against the Sixers. 4 of 8 against the Jazz. 4 of 8 against Utah, yeah. I mean, I think we've cracked the secret here. The books need to have Johnny O'Brien take as many shots as possible and everything will be all right. Um, no, in all seriousness... I just don't think he's the worst player ever, like a lot of people. I think he's a solid 10th guy. I don't, I don't think he's a little the worst. Higher than that. I don't think he's the worst player on the roster this year. I don't, I don't think when training camp sort of sorts itself out in whatever way they go... In terms of what guys can contribute this year, I don't think he's going to be the worst player. In fact, he mightn't be the second worst or the third worst either. Um, 
long term, I, you're not going to find John Hammond saying at press conferences, "Oh well, Johnny O'Brien is a is a core player or he's a key piece," like like he gave Henson wonder, that treatment. I wonder if he can play center though, because everyone else can. <laughs> I mean, he's six nine, maybe. Small six, ball. Nine, he's he's a second round pick. Maybe he's. Did Draymond Green go 36th overall? Why is that number standing out in my head? I don't know. <laughs> I don't, I'm, I'm not a draft guy. I'm, I've am i got a feeling that was in around 35th. Who, okay, it's close. Who went 35th? Draymond Green. Oh, yeah. So are we, are we really making four-man Draymond Green comparisons here with Johnny O'Brien? I mean, Draymond Green averaged 2.9 points as a rookie. I'm not, being, I'm not being serious. Again. Yeah, I'm not being serious at all, but it shows just how it's exactly the same as Johnny O'Brien, by the way. It's not worse. It's exactly the same. Um, just adding fuel to the fire. But there's the thing. Guys sometimes start out bad. Yeah. A lot of guys point. come in the NBA and struggle, especially when they start their second game, when their second round picks coming off injuries. Guys take lumps. It's What matters is the guys that get through it. Yeah, Johnny I know. Harder than ever. He's ready to come back. He's got a, an opening because there's no power forwards on his team right now outside of him and Jabari and Copeland, I guess. He realizes that he can come in and play eight minutes a game or whatever, maybe less than that, maybe more. I don't know. I'm not a good math guy. But he can he can make an impact. And if he's solid, then he's going to find himself as a rotation guy for the rest of his career, which is awesome. Like I don't, I don't think he's anywhere near as bad as many people have made him out to be this summer. Um... Saying that, I don't know, I hope you guys haven't got his numbers open in front of you right now, and if you do, don't look at them, but any guesses at what Johnny O'Brien's offensive rating was last season? I, I had it up before, I know what it is. It's one better than his jersey. <laughs> it is, it's 78, uh, which is which is pretty incredible. Um, the defense is 30 more, it's, it's not good in advanced stats, to say the least. No. It's not good at all. Um, on the bright side, in his 12 playoff minutes, he was was a little better. 80, 82 uh, was his offensive rating. So postseason post Johnny O'Brien is a thing. There, yeah. There's that flash that you look for. Yeah. Playoff TLB. That's we all know when it really matters. The books will be able to rely on Johnny O'Brien. He was really shooting in the playoffs. He took 24 shots per 36 minutes. Yeah, because he played in that one game that we're all trying very hard to forget as the season gets closer. Um, in the future, that won't be the, the, the terrible blowout game. That'll be the, this is when Johnny O'Brien first showed what he can do. It might be viewed as something not a terrible blowout game. If the books come back really strong this season, it'll be, well, that was the game that, that, was the game that made them. Um, Tim's last stand. <laughs> <laughs> Moving on from Johnny O'Brien and from power forwards, um, that leaves us with just next week left in our position-by-position position breakdown, and we'll have a look at the centres. Um, but we'll finish up this week's podcast, as usual, with our mailbag. Mailbag. Mailbag is not quite as full as it was last week, but we've got some questions in. Mm-mm. Is Brady in? Brady isn't in, no. Um, mm. is it, we've, it's okay, we've got some of our regulars in. Um, I hope. We'll start off with the, the most regular of the bunch. We've got at Pencil 2292. 
You better get this one posted in time. <laughs> I, he'll be delighted that you're still making puns, Ty. No one else is. Uh, which shooter would you trade for in the NBA, given our current shooting dilemma? Now, he, he added a note to this. He's getting a little bit more... I think the attention's going to his head because he's getting a little bit more demanding with his tweets. So yeah, he's, he, he added, knows what he wants. You can't all say Kyle Korver, some variety, please. I wasn't going to say Kyle Korver anyway. And then, then he qualified that by saying one of us is allowed to say Kyle Korver. It seems too easy for me to come out and say Kyle Korver, so I'm going to avoid that, though. I'm, I'm going to need pronunciation help. He is a undrafted power forward who is currently signed with the Kings from Wisconsin. I, oh, you're on your own. I don't know how to pronounce that oh, guy. No. That's, oh, the guy with, that's the guy with... The, is We're it, going with Duet Dukin. I, I think it's Duke. I was, I was going to try it there, but you beat me to it. I'm, I'm gonna say, we're just going to say Duke. <laughs> Duet Dukin. I think it's Duet. I should so, know this. I'll so if you, could have, if you could have any shooter in the NBA, that's who you're taking. Well, I thought we were within reason. Okay, fine. Kevin Love. <laughs> I want a power forward that can shoot because we don't have enough power forwards. We're not going to get Kevin Love. These are qualifying statements. I'll, I'll, or it could be Tony and say McBob. McBob's reasonable. I mean... Dewey Dukin's got potential. Let, I like Dewey okay, Let's qualify to role-playing shooters. If this yeah, not, guy you're bringing onto your roster is just a shooter. You're sticking with that pick, Ty. I like him. He's going to be good. Okay. He's six foot eleven. He can shoot. I like him. I don't think anyone will have been expecting that. No, so. that's, that's what I'm here for. If it wasn't him, it would have been Hedo Turkoglu. Let's leave Hedo Turkoglu in the past where he belongs. <laughs> um, what about you, Aaron? Who would you bring in if you were to add one shooter to the books roster? I mean, if I could bring in one shooter, can we trade for Steph Curry? One <laughs> role-playing shooter. No. Um, that's a that's a good question. Um, I do care. Did Bellinelli got snatched up by Sacramento, right? He did. Oh yeah, not a bad deal either. Six point three million a year, I want to say. I'm looking at looking at who's left right now. Um, gosh, I mean it's we're at slim pickings right now. Luke Luke Ridnour is still available. Nate Walters. I've got actually a player who's still available who I wouldn't have minded seeing the books take a look at earlier in, earlier in the summer even, or if they're bringing guys to training camp, I don't know why he wouldn't have been in the mix, and that's uh, Rasul Butler. Oh, yeah. Sort of the ultimate journeyman NBA player who did very little throughout his career, and then sort of right towards the end has come out firing from deep. Um, he, he shot, I think it was just under 42% with the Pacers the year before last and just dropped below 40% with the Wizards last year. Um, yeah. If we're talking about maybe adding a little bit of wing depth, some good size, I think he's about 6'7", six, 6'8". Six, he's still available. Um, they, could, they could probably get decrepit Steve Novak for pretty cheap from the Thunder. <laughs> decrepit Steve Novak has like a... I'm gonna say five million a year contract. Is he so, really? Yeah, I think so. Classic like, Thunder front office to still have him. 
I don't know. It's it, that's a tough question for me because I don't. There's obvious. There is obvious answers to that, like say Kyle Corver or like JJ Reddick or guys like that. The Bucks have a pretty good shooter of their own to play the two at the minute. So that's that's the problem with that one. It's really you want a good stretch four. Yeah, and that's why I do can. For someone who was unsure of pronouncing his name, I mean, you're you're looking for the record of of how many times you could say it on a podcast. I'm, going, I'm, I'm going pretty with sure you've already smashed the record for how many times his name has been said on any podcast. But I'm going with the classic American strategy of just going to keep saying it until it becomes how it's said. We do this <laughs> for all the international players. You'll make a great um, NBA commentator. Um, yeah, do it. I mean, everyone. That's how everyone's gonna say from now. On. I was, I was a bit out on Steve Novak. He's three point seven five million this year. Still waiting. The only thing higher than that is his defensive rating. Didn't. On that note, the next question uh, comes from Atul Debbie. How would you rate the Brandon Jennings trade in hindsight, given we technically got Middleton, MCW, Ennis, and Plumley? Ten. Ten just yeah. on Middleton, and and they're not even count, considering the best part of that trade was that we got rid of Brandon Jennings. <laughs> That's true. So He's unfortunately, I, I, out until December. Is is he borderline uh, out of the NBA? Is, uh, I don't, he, I don't no. think he's close to that. Yeah. No, he's going to be a sixth man over there. It'll be interesting to see how he comes back from that Achilles, though, if he can still do Brandon Jennings things. Maybe he'd be better off if he can't still do Brandon Jennings things. If that he might to, be true. If he has to reinvent If he does last stuff. year, Brandon Jennings things. He had a really good year last year in his time. To be fair to Brandon Jennings. Yeah, I mean, that, that trade was... I mentioned it earlier in the in the piece I wrote on Hammond. I don't think there's been many trades in the NBA that turned out as lopsided as that one. I can think of one. Considering at the time, though, it probably didn't look that lopsided at all. I mean, well, no, I, they, I mean, they had to throw in two players just, you know, to make it look look even. Him, Brandon Knight for Brandon Jennings. Am I am I right in saying that? Um, my old friend Slava Kraftsoff from Summer League. Was he the other guy who was thrown into that trade? Yeah. Yeah, he was. Oh, man. It, the trade would have been better if he had stayed in Detroit. Uh, if, I, if I hadn't been forced to watch Summer League games with Slava Kraftsoff. But that's something else we'll need to leave in the past. Um, <laughs> uh, yeah, I just think the, the way that Middleton jumped out and progressed coming out of that deal is something that it might be a while before we see another player do that in the NBA. It doesn't happen very often. Particularly in a trade, we've we've mentioned a lot how say say for example Hassan Whiteside jumped out of nowhere at the same time it doesn't happen that teams get a good look at a guy, have him on their own roster and then say, well, we're just going to throw him in to get Brandon Jennings over. So that was a big win, and for me, it's definitely the biggest win that John Hammond has had in his regime so far. Uh, hopefully there's more to come now with the new contract. Last question. Um, let me see how I pronounce this one. 
I'm gonna go Achimu's English. I think. Achimu's uh, English. Yeah, we'll go with that. Do we still need an experienced backup power forward? Not from what's available right now. Yeah, I don't see that being really a priority. I think we have so many, so many general forwards that can play power forward. I think it's going to be, you know, a little bit down the stretch that we even figure out what what that power forward rotation is really going to look like. Maybe ba- maybe Big Baby. I forgot about Big Baby. But aside from him, not from what's available right now. <laughs> even I've sort of. I don't know. I was on the big baby train. I saw positives for it, and they've long worn off now. Um, it depends on the type of power forward. It also depends on who eventually ends up making the roster. If we get sort of a surprise name in the mix, well, then maybe I'd be inclined to say, yeah, that, that might have been a better way to, to spend the final roster spot. But then who's really available that was going to make a big impact. What way does that work out? I do think they're short on depth, a, a real quality depth at that spot, but whether there was an upgrade available now, it's probably earlier in the summer was the time to act. I know that might be something that's a little bit interesting to look back on, but in the immediate aftermath of the Monroe deal, I think the books, maybe they celebrated that a bit much, which... It was fair, okay, it was a big deal. He was the most high-profile free agent to come to the city in a, in a long time and maybe the most, I was going to say the most high-profile again, but maybe the only guy ever to choose to do that over going to New York or L.A. or places like that. I think they might have been able to be a little bit more active around that time, though, when it was crazy the way the NBA market was going and there was players up for grabs everywhere. I just don't know if they might have missed opportunities to improve their depth all around around that time. How, how perfect would Paul Pierce have been on this team? I've been thinking about that. On that contract, it's not bad at all. That leadership, there's your fiery personality. This, and there's your this ties in, though. I mean, something we've talked about way, way back... Um, it was it was Tony who first brought this up on the podcast with us, and it was, well, maybe they don't actually want a guy like that because they want to force one of those younger guys to have a bit more of their own voice. I'm inclined to agree with you, Ty, but I just don't know if that's the direction the front office wanted to go in. So I see I see the departed Tony's argument, RIP Tony. Um, I didn't say that last time I brought him up, so I'll say he's not actually dead. But... <laughs> All I know is Paul Pierce probably adds like five wins to this team. Between veteran leadership and still being a very good basketball player. What, what's the real world chance that Paul Pierce signs with Milwaukee, though? Not terrible. Greg Monroe did it. He's the missing piece left is the backup four. I don't know. I think you might be getting a little carried away on the whole Greg Monroe <laughs> free agents want to, want to play for the books train there because... With other options on the table, I mean, if he wasn't going to a team like the Clippers or going back to Washington, he was probably going back to the Celtics just just to be sentimental about it. So I find it a little bit hard to see just where where the books would fit in there. Don't know if it'd be five wins either, but I do. I think someone like that would have made a difference. Yeah. 
just clearly not the way that the team wants to go with it. So it will it will be interesting to see how it all plays out. Um, that's it for us for this podcast. Um, I say this one because we'll have, as usual for the last few weeks, we'll have one coming up on Thursday. Um, let me see, what division have we previewed? Pacific. I'm going to say the Pacific. Um, yeah. We're in an unusual spot of having already previewed this one from last week, so it's pre-recorded. We've got this far without anything major happening, so cross your fingers for us. No news happens in the Pacific in the next few days, and you'll get to hear our thoughts on that division on Thursday. We'll be back next week um, to take a look at the centers. And we also have the Southwest will be a last division in the West that we'll, we'll look at too. So all that's coming up next week. Awesome. For now, thanks for listening. Um, thanks to Ty and Aaron for, for coming along for tonight's podcast. Make sure to subscribe to us on iTunes, follow us on SoundCloud, and check out our writing on the site. Thanks, guys. Talk to you next week. Boy. Yep. Yeah.